This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Piki my kake mai and welcome to our changing world. Ko Alison Balance Tine. A unique forensic study of early Otago farmers has been taking place in a disused Anglican cemetery near the small settlement of Milton. University of Otago researchers are working with the local community to find lost burials, mostly from the 1860s and 1870s. By exhuming the graves, they're hoping to gather clues about the people and their lifestyles to add to the historical information that the TP60 project group has already gathered. I'm off to join Halle Buckley, Peter Petchy and others at the archaeological dig. Heavenly Father, your son took little children into his arms and blessed them. We acknowledge before you the short life and the death of this little one. I'm Vivian Galletley, the vicar of Milton Tuapeka, and I've come to bless the uncovered remains at this burial ground so that we acknowledge before God their lives, their death and the contribution they're going to make to scientific discovery. The idea was just to find out something about those who were buried here and to try and get the place tidied up. So there's a booklet being prepared of the people we knew who were buried here, 60 people. And then the project sort of developed and people said well how can we find out where these people are and how can we find out more and one of the team had connections with Peter and from that drew connections and Helly got involved. So you're a bioarchaeologist is yeah, that right? Yes that's right yes yeah bioarchaeologist in the Department of Anatomy at University of Otago. My specialist skills are actually looking at the, the human skeletal remains and being able to build the, the life histories and life stories from the skeletons themselves. The team that we have with Peter and I is that he has a lot of experience with the historical archaeology and, and a field archaeologist. So we were able to put together a proposal for the uh, TP60 group which showed the sorts of things that we could do which is, for example, find the extent of the cemetery and then some of the things that we might be able to do, which is um, being able to tell the life histories, apply forensic uh, methods for identification of the, of the people. So we're just standing next to a fence that demarcates what is apparently the old cemetery, but then when we look behind us where you've been working, it clearly wasn't the edge of the cemetery and there are lots more bodies buried out here. Indeed. 
So that's been one of the interesting projects. People felt that the trees that are there possibly mark the edge of a churchyard, and it looks as if it's that's very likely. So how many graves have you found so far? Uh, so far we have uncovered the grave cuts of 19. So we expect that outside of the fenced area that there still, will still be some graves and there possibly another, could be up to another seven or eight graves in the area that we haven't uncovered. My name's Peter Petchy. I'm a, an archaeologist uh, based in Dunedin. So what do you know about the people who are buried here? It's a farming community, so most of the graves we've found to date are date to the 1870s, the ones we can you know, put a date to. Uh, so at that stage, Otago's in the post-gold rush years, so settlement's really getting underway. You've had the big rushes uh, in the 1860s in land. Um, all these small farming communities are growing. The land's been broken in. So we're, we are looking at one of those communities growing and developing in those in those late 19th century years. And lots of these people would have been immigrants who arrived from the UK sometime in the preceding years? Yes, the people we know, we've got a, an Irish-Anglican uh, soldier, a German immigrant. They're a mixture, um, and infants would have been born here. So it's, it's a mixture of people um, coming from all around the world to make this community. And there's a few infants and children here? Yes, yeah, uh, we expected that because in that period, you know, infant mortality was very high. Death during childbirth from mothers was also very high. I mean, it, it was a, a tough period in history up until modern medical science. You, you know, the first few years of your life or having a baby were very risky times. So what have you been finding here? You've obviously found human remains. Um, I gather there are coffins and, and burial cloths and quite a few mm. artefacts like that. We're finding very well-preserved coffin furniture the the soil conditions here seem to be particularly favoring the preservation of the fabric wrapping of the coffins so what we know from what we found is that the the coffins are buried in were, were quite rough just rough soil and thin timber made nailed together but then they were covered with a, a black woolen fabric with quite ornate pressed zinc strips or edging strips tacked on and then very ornate um, coffin plates uh, put on top with the names painted on. So, you know, typically Victorian, ornate. So the, the coffins here are really interesting, and they all are showing the same sort of style, the same sort of um, mortuary tradition in, in that sort of treatment. So whether that's a sort of standardised treatment that the Anglican Church was using at that time, or whether it simply reflects the undertaker, local undertaker did everything the same way, hopefully we can find that out through more research. But what's, what is interesting is we're not finding any remains of clothing. Now, that could be because the clothing they were buried in is cotton and the cotton hasn't survived because cotton's a cellulose fibre as well as a protein fibre, so different um, levels of preservation in these conditions. Or it could be that they were buried in their nightshirts, you know, in a, in a, that sort of thing, rather than their, their clothes. So we've, we've got more work in that area. Yeah. So S an archaeological dig mm. here. You've obviously had to start with um, reasonably big machinery. So we use a, quite a large machine. It's a 13-tonne digger with a cleaning bucket, and we scrape the topsoil back carefully, and we see the grave cuts. Um, once the topsoil's gone, we can see them in the clay, so we can locate them relatively easily. We follow the grave cut down with the machinery, 
until we just just find the top of the coffin because we can find the you know the, the mark of the wood and so on and then we open up the hole batter the sides back make it safe for the, for, for us and our students to work there and then by hand we, we we do the final all that final work you sound like you've got a pretty sloppy job there yep <laughs> you're just slowly digging away all that wet dirt yeah it's a slow process but You've just got to be slow because at some point in there there'll be some bones, there might be a breastplate, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, pretty much. Could actually be some of the plate here because it's fairly hard. This burial here, Eleanor's drawing the, the coffin furniture. This, this, this burial has probably the best preserved coffin plate on it. It's a pressed sheet iron plate with a what's called japanned tin it's like a black enamel so it looks a bit like um lacquerware sort of enameled over it with the gold writing giving his his name so we know who he is but you can see um the black probably woolen material that was wrapped around the the, the coffin the skeleton on this individual is, is quite poorly preserved but the coffin furniture is very well preserved so do you know what he did he was a soldier he was 47 when he died a lot of the people we're finding are quite young so, Eleanor, what are you doing? I am drawing the patterns that were found on the breastplates. OK, so you've taken photographs, I take it, as well? Yes, lots of photos have been taken, but these patterns were probably quite distinctive to their era and photos don't really show up very well exactly the icons in them. Whereas the human eye is pretty good at distinguishing things and yeah. drawing attention to things. I'm doing a lot of moving around and trying to... yeah get all the light and shadow to figure out what's going on. So you look like you're making good progress on it. Thank you. I spent a lot of time on it, but it's getting there. It's really amazing to slowly, yeah, figure out, see shapes here and there, and eventually turn, they turn into an angel's head or um, a vine. Or Yeah, it's nice to see everything connect and get a real picture for what's going on. So how many illustrations have you done so far? So I've drawn each of the... Um, burials that have been excavated so the whole grave and uh, that's a more of a technical drawing we're also just photographing them we're also using you know the, the modern up-to-date photogrammetry software where you take a whole lot of photographs and you drop it in the into the, the program and you, you basically get a 3d model of of the burial on your computer screen which you can spin around and rotate and look at so so we're using a um, combination of the the tried-and-true methods have been used for 150 years in archaeology and the, the stuff which is right up to date. Have you d uh, translated the crown yet? No, I think I can see O-R-I-A-D-E-O. -E I think some of the English um, research has gone on. They've got, they've, people have worked on ca um, producing catalogues of the stuff that was available in terms of coffin mm. hardware. Oh, yeah. So if we search some of that English literature, we might, you know... We may find... These will be standard motifs, all of these, yeah. so hopefully we can identify all that stuff and get an idea of where it fits in the sort of Anglican um, sort of tradition of the time. So, yeah, I hope so, yeah, yeah, definitely. Excellent. Why were you just spraying it then? Uh, keeping it wet stops it from deteriorating pretty much, doesn't it? And it helps show up the patterns. It keeps the colour even. I mean, the, the irons... It, it, it's been in a moist environment for 1877, this one, so 140 mm -hmm. odd years. And drying out, it's just going to, it's, 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 that change of environment is just going to start to break up 
the material. So the, just being exposed to the oxygen is going to start things deteriorating, but by keeping it moist, we sort of hold it in a reasonably stable condition while we draw it and record it, and then we'll cover it up again and rebury it. So. This isn't getting lifted off? Um, I don't think so. I think Callie's already looked at this burial and decided that the, the, the remains, the skeleton, is, is too poor to lift, so it has to be recorded in situ. Because, of course, you've got to remember that the physical preservation and the chemical preservation can be different. The, the bones might look quite good, the DNA might be destroyed. It all depends on um, a whole range of taphonomic processes, ground chemistry, water, groundwater chemistry, acidity levels, there's... You can find with burials and burial grounds, and be they 150 years old or 2,000 years old, you can have two individuals buried at the same depth, 18 inches apart. One can be beautifully preserved and one can be terribly preserved. And you stand there looking at it and you think, what happened? Why? Um, and there's a whole, you know, it could have been the time of year they're buried, the health of the individual when they're buried, any a number of a range of factors, some of which we'll never know. So. And then over... Where Hallie's working, there's uh, two interments. We're almost certain they're husband and wife. Uh, we have, we've found names and coffin plates and we have the records. So, of course, our next step is to contact the next of kin. Um, the coffin's beautifully preserved. You can actually see on the um, coffin timbers, when we, when we took a, the fabric sample off, the, the saw marks, circular saw marks, where the timber was milled. So it's not you know, a beautifully planed and varnished coffin. It's, it's, it's just rough-sawn timber... And, but with the fabric over the top, so it looks um, very fashion. Actually, you can see, still see the, the carpenter's or undertaker's pencil marks on some of the wood where he actually measured up to cut the coffin. Any idea what kind of trees the timber came from? Will you be able to work that out? If, yeah, we, we'll take in samples and we'll, have, we'll send that up to Auckland University where there's a specialist up there who will, um, can identify them all from their microscopic structure. He looks at the, the cell structure of the timbers. And then beyond Halley, there's... Um, there's two infants in one grave shaft and then one infant in, in another grave shaft. Again, this is high infant mortality. And then to the right, a, a child who um, has been... We've, we've, we've excavated, we've recorded, sampled, and has been reburied. Well, I'm Kath Croy. I'm retired, but I was born in Milton as Kathleen Finch. And um, I'm interested because this, my great-great-grandparents are buried here. Great, so who are we standing next to? We're standing in front of John and Elizabeth Finch's grave and that of their son, who was a bullock driver. John was born in 1814, so he's over 200 years old. <laughs> and they were born, he was born in Etwell, Derby, and came out on the John Wycliffe, on the very first settler ship into Otago in 1848. So a really strong family connection to the cemetery, yes, to this area. Yeah, oh, definitely. My cousin, his great-great grandson is still farming and the sheep that are eating down our grass here at the moment are from the farm that John and Elizabeth settled on in 1860 they came to Milton. Now you're involved in this project in several ways, you're being camp mum while they're actually <laughs> doing the dig. Tell me about being on the committee and what well, that's involved. We researched the stories of these people out of the early Bruce Heralds on papers past and we built up from the very detailed obituaries and inquests in some cases and births, deaths and marriages, we built up fascinating stories of the ships they came out on um, there's one man that was a, a soldier and he was buried over there with a um, full military funeral they played the dead march of Saul on the way up from the town and buried him and it was so, so exciting last week when they exposed 
a, a simple metal plaque on top of what was a uh, what was a coffin, and here was his name. And Peter was telling me how it's really about restoring the stories to some of these people of too, because they've, they've they've got lost. Well, we thought there could be graves outside, so those folk would have been lost forever. And what is amazing is that we have found these faint names, um, and a husband and wife team uh, died in their thirties, three months apart, and. Um, he was a doctor from Germany. So we have these rich stories. And so um, I'm able to stand there telling the story as they um, investigate in a very respectful way. You've probably picked that up, how respectful it all is. And nothing will be taken away and kept. It's all the little bit that's being taken away is going, we'll go back in the same spot. And that's what I think people need to know that because a lot of people think they're, you know, taking stuff away forever, but they're certainly not. And the vicar turns up every day or two for a little ceremony, whether we've just discovered a little baby or something or we're about to cover up somebody, um, using the wording from the 1600s that they would have had at their funerals, um, they're, they're covered up again. What's your name? Koreana Wesley-Evans. So what are you up to? I'm just scraping back the um, rust off this chest plate. So a slow, delicate job. Yes. And that to see if there's still any detail underneath the rust? Yeah, to see if we can get a name and just look at the patterns on it. What's really interesting is this coffin plate, where there's some plant fibres across it at an angle um, from the top, top right to bottom left. And that's right on the plate. And we're wondering, so we've taken some samples. It, it could just be grass from you know, the cemetery that went in the hole when the, the grave diggers filled the hole in again in the, when, when this person was buried. But the way it's laying, it actually could be the remains of a bunch of flowers laid across the coffin and then, the, and then it was filled in. So we've taken some samples and we will just see if some of the you know, plant phytolists or, you know, Something can be identified, pollen from, see if they are flowers, which would be really nice if we can tell that. You know, again, it's looking at how people dealt with death in, in the 1870s. So what are you up to, Hallie? So we're just at the point now where we can um, begin lifting the skeleton of this woman. So we've made all of the recording. She's lying in the bottom of the coffin, and we've taken all of the measurements, all of the samples that we need to do, lots and lots of photographs. So this is the point now where we actually start to lift the bones. We're very fortunate with this, with this individual because the, the bones are very well preserved. So the point of actually lifting the skeleton up now at this point means that we'll be able to get more information from um, her biological life history than what we already have from the uh, historical records. Are you going to try and take DNA samples from them? Yes, so when we actually are excavating a skeleton, uh, when the bones and particularly teeth first become uncovered, it's at that point that we will take our samples because all of the people that are working on the, on the skeletons will be leaving their own DNA. So it's important to, to collect the samples for DNA analysis uh, very early on in the excavation process. So we have already have samples from this individual. So we'll start at the um, at the feet, because that's the sort of the easiest point. So this is the left foot, Caitlin. 
So you've got a few foot bones there? Yeah. So this is this bone here is actually the fragments of the bone from, um, it's called the talus. And this is the bone where the, the tibia articulates and so forms the ankle joint. The surfaces on those bones there might give us information about osteoarthritis, some types of arthritis uh, such as gout and rheumatoid arthritis leave traces in the bone as well. This bone is the heel bone, the calcaneus. That's the left as well. So you're just working very carefully with small, sharp tools there and just being very delicate. That's right, yeah. So the idea here is to um, loosen the sediment around the bone to the extent where the bone then becomes loose and then it can be lifted um, without, hopefully, without breaking it. This is where it's really important for um, doing this sort of work that you know your skeletal anatomy very well because if you know your anatomy then you know what, where there might be hidden parts of the bone underneath that you need to work around and not break. So this, the left tibia and fibula are loose now, so that was actually quite relatively easy, thankfully. We've taken measurements from, from this bone before we tried to lift it. And so by measuring the bones, that gives us information on how tall she was. So often with historical um, information, you might find a, a report of someone in the, um, in the newspaper you know, from activities they might have done in the community, and they might be described as a woman of average height or a woman of you know, short, petite build or something like that. But if we have this biological information, then we can actually say, well, she was five foot three or whatever. Yeah. We know this woman's identity. Um, we know her name. We know that she came from Britain. She was actually born in, in Britain, in London. So that means that, you know, this gives us the biological information of people who migrated here. You know, like we might see, for example, a difference in her diet um, as a child uh, from her teeth, from looking at the stable isotopes in her teeth. Uh, and then because she lived here for a number of years before she died we will hopefully be able to get um, stable isotope information about her diet as an adult. Can you get any information on, say, diseases they might have been suffering from? Uh, yes, you can. Um, one of the most common things that we will find is evidence of degeneration in the joints, so osteoarthritis. Also, some diseases, like some infectious diseases, like tuberculosis, can leave quite distinctive traces in the bones and metabolic diseases, you know, from vitamin deficiencies also. And the other thing that we can do with the bones as well is we look at the areas on the bone where the muscle's attached and then that can give us an idea of how much use was being made of particular muscle groups. So it gives us another idea of activity and so forth and so, you know, with the historical information we can kind of look at what people were actually doing correlate that with, with what we're seeing in the bones. Now I know that sometimes you're able to do facial reconstructions from skulls. So mm. you, is that something you're going to be able to do? Are the skulls intact it's enough? certainly something that we would like to do, but so far we haven't found any skulls with the faces preserved well enough. The other thing that's really interesting about this site is the fact that we actually have the coffins um, preserved. One of the big thing in my field is actually looking at the position of the bones in the grave 
to try and work out what they were buried in and, and whether they were wrapped in something or whether they were buried in a hard container or by looking at the, at the lines of the bones and how the bones have sort of moved. Uh, but what's really amazing here is that we can actually test those assumptions of things like a coffin line, you know, a hard line. You see how the bones are hard up against the line the side there. Yep. We can actually test that assumption that we have with other burials where we kind of like, well, we can see where the line of the bones is, so there must have been a hard, non-perishable um, container that the person was put in. It's quite fascinating. I'm Pam Bain and I'm the Senior Archaeologist with Heritage New Zealand. So what's Heritage New Zealand's involvement in this? You've had to give them permits to do it? Yes, so Heritage New Zealand um, manages the statutory process for archaeological excavation, so we had to give um, a permit, we call it an archaeological authority, under our legislation for any th- anybody to um, modify or destroy an archaeological site under our legislation. Yeah. So from your perspective, what's the benefit of a dig like this? Oh, I think that this and lots of other archaeological excavations are, are enormously important. They, they tell us all sorts of information about the history of New Zealand, the people of New Zealand, how, they, how the landscape and the people and the history all, all fitted together and that um, often that's only information that can be gained from work like this. It's often not in other records and there's not other ways of getting it and that's, that's why archaeology I think is so important here. This is the first time in New Zealand that something like this has ever been done. There have been other cemeteries lifted, and, and both Hay and I have worked on these projects, but that's usually for development or other pragmatic reasons. Um, either there's a, you know, in Wellington there's a cemetery and they wanted to build a big road, um, Tolliga Bay, they found an early 19th century um, cemetery uh, that everyone had, knew existed but didn't know where, where they found it. It was in the school grounds, so it had to be moved into a Nuruppa, so we, we've worked on the projects like that. But no one has ever actually, in a pure research sense, gone and found themselves a historic cemetery and gone to find out about the people. So this is very much about restoring people's stories. Yes, and that was the point that the bishop made at the blessing before the work started. His passion is about stories. And we've heard the stories of some of the people when we've been writing the booklets. And then this is an extension And this was really one of the reasons that the bishop strongly supported this investigation, because he felt that science grows by investigation, and investigators need information, and it would contribute to the story of the people in this place and in the wider community. That was Vivian Galletley, the minister at St John's Anglican Church in Milton, and you also heard from local resident Kath Croy. Bioarchaeologist Hallie Buckley and archaeologist Peter Pecci are both at the University of Otago, and Pam Bain is with Heritage New Zealand. That's all for now, but you can stay in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're RNZ Science. Kia ora mai. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.